Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Today I'm having on Roxanne Ahern from Happy Holistic Homestead over on Instagram. So her account really caught my eye as a mother of five girls, someone who homesteads. She does things from scratch like fermenting things and making sourdough and milking goats. So many of those things that I also love to do. We're going to answer a reader question. So I got a question basically asking, how do I make some of these changes incrementally? It's, it's overwhelming whenever you look at it from the very beginning. So Roxanne and I are going to dive into that topic and probably take a few twists and turns as well, just as we talk about motherhood and living on a homestead. So join us for that interview. My name is Lisa, mother of seven and creator of the blog and YouTube channel Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Hi, Roxanne. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy we can chat. So you have to come to the library for internet. A lot of my homestead guests, that's kind of the case. <laughs> I do. I I honestly wasn't sure what to do, but I do some work from home and on Zoom and that kind of thing. And I thought I was being so smart by coming to the library. I thought the internet connection will be so much better. So it's funny that it was giving us trouble. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Remind me what state you're in. Um, we are in Arkansas, Arkansas. So you're it's, so it's hot cause I'm in Missouri. So I'm just North of you and we're experiencing record highs. And next week I have some friends coming in town for a little blogging retreat and we picked my house this year and I, I'm trying to tell them this isn't actually normal. Like, yes, it can get hot in Missouri, but for it to be a hundred degrees every day that you're here, that's not actually normal, but I don't think I'm ever going to convince them. <laughs> <laughs> so are you trying, what are you going to do when they're in town? Is there any way to cool off or uh, are you going to go swimming? <laughs> well, we'll just, we'll probably have to stay in more than I was hoping. I was hoping for like this really cute little restaurant where it's outside, but I don't know. Cause one of my friends is from Utah and she can't handle humidity. So, <laughs> oh no. So we'll see, but no, it'll be, it'll be totally fine. But yeah, you guys are probably experiencing the same heat wave that we are down there. It has been hot. My girls have wanted to get in the Creek every day and I haven't felt like going in the garden at all. Yeah. It's just way too hot, you know, but of course you need to go in the garden <sighs> when it's hot because it needs water. And so, <laughs> so I'm just watching the forecast and hoping it rains. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not looking good here for that. Mm -mm. So not here either. I got a reader question that I thought would be really good to talk about. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself, your homestead, your family, whatever you want to share, um, and then we'll jump into that reader question, which I think would be really helpful for you to weigh in on. Well, okay, so I'm a I'm a mom of five. They're all girls, and um, we homeschool and. Uh, we grow food and raise animals and that kind of thing. I didn't grow up doing that kind of stuff. So it's all been learning along the way and learning as we go. When I was younger, 
Um, you know, I grew up kind of like on processed foods and, uh, I was pretty unhealthy feeling in my late teens, early twenties. And then I, I went to this, uh, like health resort type place one time where all they did was serve their own food there. It was all unprocessed and it was like, you couldn't get any other food. And it was the first time I'd eaten so healthy before. And I felt so different that it was kind of a life-changing thing and it sort of mm -hmm. changed my course. And then I went to a Southwest Institute of Healing Arts out in Arizona and studied herbalism there and like holistic nutrition. And then, you know, when, when I became a mom, I kind of got even more serious about all that stuff. And then as a mother of a large family, you probably know it's food can get expensive, especially when you want a certain quality of food. And so it just kind of became like, well, I guess we're going to have to produce this ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gonna, yeah. Gonna, you know, want to keep eating it. So that's kind of the, how that went. And then little uh, foraging and baking and all that kind of stuff have just been sort of like, uh, we've learned them together, you yeah. know, as my kids were growing up, it's been like part of their school, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, yeah. It's interesting that you really got into a lot of this health stuff and, and going down the path of learning herbalism and whole foods before you were a mom, because most people I talk to usually having children's the catalyst for it, but it sounds like you started learning about it before that even happened. And that's what, you know, pushed you. I'm interested to hear more about that, that place that you went. What was that? Um, which place, the place that served the good food or the place where I went to the, yes, yes. And, and your school, but yeah, the place that served the good. Food. Um, well, it's a place in Tucson and it's called Canyon Ranch. And they have all different programs. You can go there and like sign up for all kinds of different programs and you get like body work done and that kind of thing. I mean, it's pretty neat. You you go and you come out feeling great. But yeah, they're, I had never eaten like that before. I would say it's mostly, I mean, there's a lot of plant-based stuff, but everything was definitely organic and it was all just super healthy. Yeah, and I think fresh. I grew up eating a lot of processed stuff and not even really, I never equated what I was eating with how I was feeling, you know, yeah, I yeah. really, for some reason, I just, there was a total disconnect there. And then when that changed, it changed everything. Yeah. I think back, like when I was growing up, that association wasn't made like it is today. So now I think people are a lot more aware. You, you don't even have to be somebody who's digging super far into everything for you to know that. But back then, I think that would have actually been like when I was a kid, that would have been pretty revolutionary that, you know, what you eat actually affects how you feel as yes. obvious as that seems. No, it is funny. And I remember having a couple of friends who, you know, they ate very healthy, sort of like how my family eats now. And it was sort of like, yeah, oh, they're, you know, they're health nuts, <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. you know? <laughs> so the question that I received from a reader that I thought, or a listener that I thought would be really good to talk with you specifically about was this. Could you do an episode on incremental changes and give us some insight on the journey that brought you to where you are now? So healthy living and eating. I think a lot of us can feel like we're failing because we can't make all the changes in one day. So maybe some ideas on the most impactful changes you can make if you only make a couple at a time. So you sort of shared like a very overview, like bird's eye view of how you got to where you are now. Like you're so skilled in, in your homesteading and your foraging, gardening, sourdough, all the stuff that I watch you do on your Instagram. But um, what, how did you acquire this knowledge? Where'd you start? We can talk about like what resources led you in that direction, trial and error, 
I just want to dive deeper into how that took shape. So much trial and error. So much. Um, you know, I think back on my days when I was first married and a young mom, and um, I really didn't know how to do anything. You know, I mean, I knew how to like make spaghetti and pot roast and, you know, like I knew how to cook a couple of things. I had never had a garden. One thing that was life-changing for us was when we got married, um, we moved out of the country and had our baby in Central America. And then we moved back right before she was one. And uh, we lived on a friend's farm. My husband got a job restoring an old apple orchard and it needed a lot of work. And so they were homeschooling and homesteading and they had four kids at the time. And I was able to just be sort of like immersed right into what they were doing. And I had never uh, witnessed that kind of lifestyle before. We lived on their farm for, I think, six months or nine months. But, you know, we just got an education and um, their seven-year-old daughter taught me how to garden. You Mm -hmm. know, she taught me, she she was the cutest thing and had so much knowledge. (laughs) Yeah. So, that kind of made me realize I had spent a long time um, in school and stuff and not really, I hadn't learned very much. And, and so I was thought, well, I'm going to probably uh, homeschool then. And so that changed. And then as far as something that is, I'm trying to think of one of the first things I, I was talking to my husband about this recently. And he said, you know, what was a real switch was when you were able to cook a whole chicken. Yeah. I always say that too. What, what is, yeah. Yeah. So somebody brought us a whole chicken after my second daughter was born as like a, a baby meal. You know, I asked her how she had done it and she just described how she made it. And then, um, I tried to make it, messed it up a couple of times, but it was easy enough that it was pretty easy and it became part of the regular rotation And then you start learning how to like use the innards and make bone broth and, you know, you see how, and so doing that, I mean, cause I had never ever cooked a whole chicken, cut up a whole chicken. I had only ever bought chicken parts and, you know, anyway, so that was kind of different Mm -hmm. learning how to do that. And I I feel like that really was a switch taking like any cut of meat to me, that's is like a very good place to start is buying all the cuts of meat that you're not comfortable with. So maybe you're used to just buying ground beef and boneless, skinless chicken breasts, but then taking those that you're not as comfortable and familiar with, and then just getting them. And then, then you learn how to actually do it. Like, like a pork loin roast, or even if you are adventurous as to buy like a cow heart, you know, you don't have to go that far, but learning those cuts of meat that you don't, usually use is definitely a really, a really good place to start. I think you're so right. And a lot of people reach out to me too. And they say, how can I start with no land? Uh, You know, we live in the suburbs or we live in an apartment, but we want to be more self-sufficient. You make such a good point about the different cuts of meat. And it's such a good idea to go buy part of a cow, you know, just buy the whole thing. And then you do get all those parts that you're not used to using. And it just forces you to be creative. And then what's neat about that too, is a lot of those recipes that you find for some of the pieces that don't get used a lot are sort of like, will take you down this path of traditional cooking too. And I feel like traditional cooking methods, uh, they're really good about using all the parts. They always end up being more frugal and healthier. 
Oh, and nourishing traditions. I mean, I, somebody gave us that book when we got married, the Sally Fallon book. So it was as a wedding gift. And that was definitely life changing because that was sort of turned upside down the way that we had been taught to eat, you know, because I had been eating healthier yeah. then, but I still don't think I was getting enough healthy fats in my diet. I was eating healthy by like what dietitians would call healthy maybe, but yeah. I don't necessarily think that's correct. Yeah. Like vegetables and boneless, skinless breasts with salt yeah. and no butter and stuff that leaves you feeling hungry still, but is healthy. Yes, healthy. totally. And especially when you're in your reproductive years, you, you know, you can't survive on um, that stuff. Like you need fat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. People, people neglect that. So which changes do you feel like in your kitchen have the most impact for the least effort? The most impact for the least effort. And do you mean like, um, when you're changing, your diet or like, you know, growing things in your garden or. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you want to make something from scratch, you know, I have like a handful of things that I feel like are so easy to incorporate, but are, are very healthy and are from scratch. Like there's certain things like making your own mozzarella cheese and you know, that's a lot easier than making like a cheddar cheese mm -hmm. or making milk kefir to me is a lot easier than making yogurt. Certain things that are like high impact we're getting these nutrient-dense foods in, but yet it's really a lot less work. Yeah, no, I farm cheese is a great one. That is a really good one. We just make the farm cheese with vinegar, and then you can use it so many different ways. So that's a good one. Okay, can you tell me exactly how to make that? I need to make that like today because we oh. are now milking <laughs> twice a day, and I processed all my butter this morning. And I have buttermilk and I have so much milk. I'm like, oh my goodness. Do you have, are you using goat milk or cow milk? You have a cow, right? Yes, we have a cow. And so we're getting at least three gallons a day, which means that wow. we, I now have to actually do something with it because before we were sharing with the calf. And so that made it to where we had just enough to have plenty of milk, but not have to actually deal with the milk. So we've been using um, goat milk because my daughter, she bought her own milk goat and she's been milking the goat and graciously sharing some of the cheese with us. Not all of the cheese, you know, some of it's just her cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so she's me, she's making stuff and you know, she just, um, she heats it up. I think for about a half gallon, she uses around 10 tablespoons of vinegar or something. It's like kind of a lot, but she, but we use apple cider vinegar. And um, I think you can use regular vinegar too. And it's just about getting it to the right heat, like 170, 175. And she tries not to let it go up over 180. Once it gets to 175, you let it do its thing for about 10 minutes. And we've noticed that when you add the vinegar all at once, it makes the curds more rubbery and like harder. And when you add the vinegar slowly while it's heating up, the cheese has like a creamier texture. That's what it's been like with just our okay. experimentation with the goat milk. But anyway, it's super simple. And then you yeah. just strain it out in cheesecloth and salt it. You could add herbs to it. Okay. And it's like has a similar vibe to mozzarella. Yeah. Like we chop it up and we'll eat it like caprese or whatever. You yeah. Know? So and a similar process to mozzarella, maybe minus all the stretching. Yeah, we definitely no stretching. And we haven't gotten into um using cultures or that kind of stuff. She's just been we've been, you know, making yogurt, um 
ice cream, you know, like you've just been using it as quick as she makes it because she's only getting, she's getting less than a half a gallon a day. So yeah, it's like, it's easy. It's easy to use that up in our house. Yes. Um, yes. We were, we milked goats and that's, that's how our experience was. Like we never had quite enough. I think I was thinking about the question you asked me before. And I think one of the other things that made the biggest impact was when we stopped, when we decided we were going to avoid pesticides on our food as much as possible. I mean, glyphosate in particular, we were avoiding. And that was like when my daughter, my oldest daughter was maybe two. And so when you start looking at everything that had soy and corn in it, it was like we almost had to avoid all processed food at that point, which was more work. But it was like, there wasn't really getting any around it. And salad dressings, Mm -hmm. people don't think about it, but you can be eating really healthy and um, salad dressings can be a super nutritious thing if you're making them with wholesome ingredients and healthy fats, or they can be like poison, you know? And so that is something that I feel like is small and simple and that it's um, really easy to make at home. And has a lot of impact. And you know, little herb gardens too, herbs, people don't think about it, but herbs have a lot of nutrient value. And, you know, if you just have a little pot, you can put them outside in or, you know, throw a handful of herbs into literally anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is another way that you can um, have a little bit of control over what's going into your food, even if you don't have a lot of space. Yeah. I always am preaching to people to, if they feel very overwhelmed with getting started on cooking from scratch and making these incremental changes to just master the basics. So we earlier were talking about mastering different cuts of meat. Now you're talking about just throwing Mm -hmm. in some herbs, you know, buying non-GMO or, or avoiding those certain grains altogether, soy and corn, Mm -hmm. just basically finding the right sourcing for basic ingredients and then adding salt, herbs, keeping it simple is really, that's been my strategy. I don't know. That sounds sort of like what you're saying is, is a strategy for you guys as well. Yeah. Well, and when you're in the garden and I don't know what your response is, cause some moms I say this to, and they're like, totally. And some moms are like, Mm-mm. so I don't know where you are on the spectrum, but where I'm at right now, um, in the middle of, you know, the summer fall for me, it feels easier to go into the garden, find something to make, for dinner and bring it back into the house then and make it then to uh, go to the store with like all of my kids. Oh, yeah. You know, like actually <laughs> growing our own food is like we'd rather be at home. And so I could see how it doesn't make sense for everybody in whatever, you know, you're in different seasons of life. But if you're a mom and you have a large family and you're spending a lot of time at home, honestly, uh, adding a vegetable garden is like it makes your life more convenient. You know, there's work involved for sure, but it's like really nice. And then we oftentimes will plan our meals around that. That gives me inspiration. Um, you know, so yeah, it gives you a framework. That'll it's be like, we have a ton of basil. What are you going to do? Yeah. Right now we're swimming in the abundance of milk and eggs. So like today for break or for lunch, we had buttermilk pancakes, bacon, and eggs. And I'm like, guys, we just need to, and, and big glasses of milk. Everybody has to chug. Like we have to get through a half gallon of milk at this sitting right now. So that was what lunch was. So I, I do hear what you're saying. In some ways, whenever you do keep this, you know, local to where you are, it it does simplify the meals too, because it's, you just need to eat what you have. And then also for us, keeping a freezer, we have a freezer completely stocked full of 
uh, pasture-raised pork mm-hmm. and beef and chicken. And so that's all there. We have more eggs than we know what to do with, more milk than we know what to do with. And then we have our garden to add on like the herbs and we're not with, we're not, we don't have the tomatoes and all that yet, but soon we will. And it does, it makes a lot less grocery shopping. So recently I'm like, I don't think we've been to the grocery store in weeks, but then we did have to finally go for some, (laughs) some things that we don't have. Yeah. And I mean, I like that. And then you, you eat a certain type of food that's in season until you're almost tired of it. And then you're ready to not eat it anymore until the next year. And then when it comes around the next year, you're so excited. Those first ripe tomatoes from the garden or the first lettuce you get out of the garden in, you know, March or April, you're like, yes. (laughs) So I don't know. I like the seasonality of it all. And I think honestly, just from a nutrition perspective, I think that's what's best for your body. Anyway, I think your body functions best when it gets breaks from certain foods and you're not always putting the same things Mm -hmm. into it all the time. Yeah, I agree. What are you doing about grains on your homestead? So where are you sourcing and how have you shifted maybe from conventional way of, you know, consuming bread and whatnot to what are you doing now for, for grains? Well, we didn't, um, we didn't really eat a lot of bread for a long time. I did, you know, I, I made a sourdough starter around the time we moved to Arkansas, which was maybe eight years ago, but it's like, I limped it along and never really got good at it kept it alive and experimented sometimes, but wasn't very successful with it because I just wasn't, I I wasn't giving it really any energy. You know, I was like busy doing other things, but then my daughter wanted to do farmer's market a few years back. She actually started out selling quail eggs at the farmer's market. And I thought, well, I'm going to go sit there with her all day. I'll bake some bread. So we did. um, And then it ended up that quail eggs were kind of a pain and she really uh, she kind of took over the bread thing. She saw, cause we would sell out every week and she's like, Hmm, this bread business looks like a good idea. Yeah. And then, you know, I taught her how to do it. And then the next year she's sort of like, so the bread business is like on me. Right. So she was doing most of that, but I still did a lot of the sourdough because it was, um, it went more with my schedule than hers. You know, I was doing it early in the morning and like when the kids were asleep. So yeah. anyways, we started buying, when we started making, you know, 20 or 30 loaves of bread a week for market, we started uh, buying it from Azure. And so that's where we get like a lot of our staples now is Azure standard. And we get like our flour, okay. most of our bulk stuff, our grains, oats, honey, well, we buy a lot of our honey locally too, but sometimes we'll buy from them beans, all the beans and uh, rice, sugar, and a lot of our seasonings and spices come from them. We've been really happy with them, so we use them a lot. And then we try to grow a lot of our own food and animals, yeah. and then there's some sources locally that we go to for meat when we don't have our own. And... You know, I would say the gro- we do go to the grocery store, but it's like a last resort, but we're definitely not independent from it or anything. Like it's still there, but yeah. it's like, I really have never yeah, enjoyed it. Great. Yeah. Yeah. When you need something last minute, yeah. it's good. But Azure has saved me a lot of money um, because you sort of have to think about things month to month and it keeps me from going to the store all the time. And I found I would go into the store for stuff for dinner and then you end up spending 50 or $60. And then that happens a couple of times a week. And, you know, and so it, I feel like when I plan it all ahead, I really do a lot better with our grocery budget. Yeah. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask you is how do you make swaps for eating healthier on a budget? And I'm, I'm with you that ordering groceries is a lot better 
because just yesterday we went to the grocery store with all the kids and we definitely grabbed things. I was telling Luke whenever we we're in the checkout, I'm like, I it is cheaper to order groceries because this we've definitely bought things that we never would have bought because we didn't even know that they had them there. But yeah, can you speak to that? The making swaps and and going on this journey on a budget. There's so many things that are really easy. Like it's pre-prepared, like, you know, you can buy your little packets of oatmeal that you put in the microwave, or you can get your oats, um, or you can get your pre-prepared anything really, or you can get the raw ingredients. And so I think we've sort of, to make everything fast and really convenient, people have been willing to pay more for it. There's a lot of ingredients now going into the food that maybe isn't the best. Um, And I think a lot of people are kind of realizing that now too. And they're like, "Uh uh-oh, how do we avoid that? So I think what I would say is like, instead of a can of beans, instead of buying five cans of beans, you know, soak your beans, like just get your beans, make your own beans instead of packets of oatmeal, buy oats. It's just like that. Like don't, don't buy food products, buy ingredients. Um, and then if you can source them directly, like in bulk, uh, you can save money. Or if you can source them direct from farmers, oftentimes you'll save money. And yeah. if you're eating seasonally, you're going to save money too. Like something we do every year is we always go to the the local orchards and we purchase their B grade mm-hmm. or their non-fancy fruit. And that's what we can, you know, if you, I mean, it's expensive applesauce if you go buy fancy apples and then make them into yeah. sauce, right? Because they're so expensive but you get the B-grade apples from the farm. And a lot of people don't even know they're there, mm-hmm. but you just ask them and they'll bring you a big box from out of the back and it costs way less. So just things like that, like forming relationships with farmers and stuff and buying directly from them. Um, I mean, what do you think? I want to know your tips on this because I'm sure you deal with this a lot too. Yeah. So very similar to you, I buy things in seasons. Like when you're talking about apples, We never have apples in our home except for in the fall. It's not something I'm like super intentional about. Like we just don't eat apples unless it's in the fall, but they're so expensive. So when I go to the grocery store, I just won't grab apples until it's fall, get them from the local orchard or then, you know, we now have trees, but, and they actually aren't even producing it. So we just get them from the local orchard. But yeah, I have, I have a source for everything. Like I have a local place that has honey. I got, I buy a gallon at a time. I have sources for all my meat that I buy in bulk. Like you, and unless I'm in a pinch, which this just is not a budget suggestion, but I do know how to and enjoy cooking my own black beans and everything like that. And sometimes I have black bean cans too, just because, you know, quick and easy. But yeah, in some ways, it's actually cheaper to cook that way. Yeah. Like, don't go buy organic, like, Bob's Red Mill organic packets of oatmeal. Just buy oatmeal and then put in whatever fruit seasonally, mm-hmm. put in the honey from the local farmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very similar to yours. I want to take a quick break to tell you about today's episode sponsor, Tubes & Co. Organic Skincare. So I've told you about them before, but I absolutely am loving Tubes & Co using it in my home. So first of all, I love that it is a husband and wife team made right here in the US, but I also love that it's made from natural and organic ingredients. So they use tallow, which is a natural fat that absorbs so nicely into our skin because it's an animal fat. We talked about that on the episode that I actually did with the owner of Tubes & Co. 
why it is so beneficial to be using animal fats as opposed to some of the plant oils and such that we're used to using. It is beautifully moisturizing, the frankincense tallow balm. I'm loving it. I also love the sea buckthorn cleansing oil. As my skin gets a little bit older, and then also obviously now as I'm getting sun, I'm trying to wear a hat out in the garden. But at the end of the day, to put all of that moisture in with a cleansing oil makes my skin feel so fresh, so clean, and moisturized, which helps to make it more youthful. I also have been experimenting with their makeup, which has been amazing. It's very lightweight, but it also has coverage and then it is all natural. So whenever we put something on our skin, it actually makes its way in to affect our hormones, our health, just like whenever you know, you're able to quit smoking by using a nicotine patch, it goes in your skin or people use progesterone creams to increase their progesterone. We don't really think of the things that we put on our skin as something that we're almost eating because it's going into our body, but that is what is happening. So by using natural skincare products like Tubes & Co Organic, you are doing something that is nourishing as opposed to something that is actually harming your health. I love using Tubes & Co high quality, organic, clean products to nourish my skin, and I know that you will too, and support small family farms in the process. You can use code FARMHOUSE to save 10% off your purchase. It's a one-time use coupon, but it doesn't expire, and you don't have to be a first-time customer, so use that code farmhouse and go get your hands on some beautiful nourishing skincare products today. Yeah. And like I said, you just eventually you stop buying all the food products and then you're just buying ingredients. And then when you do buy the food products, sometimes it's like fun for the kids. They think it's such a treat, but we're definitely not buying, you know, it's like, you know, we're going on a road trip and we get to get all these fun snacks or exactly. whatever. But um, yeah. if we did, if we went and bought tons of snacks at the store. I guarantee all that stuff would be gone in like minutes in my house. Yeah. They just, they would be like, let's, let's eat all the snacks. We know mom got granola bars and fruit snacks. We're, yes. we're having them today. <laughs> it's like, you can't even keep in the house. And so it's no, sort of like it's... just treats, but we pretty much have fruit all the time. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. We just, we, we also, we, we only <laughs> buy ingredients. And whenever I do buy something that's prepackaged, they just inhale it. It doesn't even count. It's not like it counted for any meal. It's just extra in my opinion. So yeah, if, the, if you're on a budget, definitely avoid all of that and just buy the ingredients. And I don't know about you, but I don't go super crazy into like making all my own condiments and things like that. So yeah, we buy packaged ketchup and mustard and all of that. But I mean, you can get a bottle of uh, organic ketchup for only a few dollars. Exactly. And so to <laughs> me, like the it. value is really in there. Mm -hmm. We always joke about like what a value ketchup is like, because you know, when you've processed tomatoes, how many, how yeah. many tomatoes it would take that bottle of ketchup. It's like the best deal in the grocery store probably. It is. And honestly, I feel like there are some other good deals too. Like Pretty much all tomato products are really yeah. good deals. So like I make my That's own true. pasta in the middle of summer and we have so many tomatoes or my own pasta sauce, but we buy a lot of jarred pasta sauce because it's so cheap, you know? Yeah. It doesn't really it, seem worth it. It is. And it's, it's good. I mean, we definitely have stuff like that back up on hand. Like that's my go-to. Like you do, you have your cans of beans on hand or you have your pastas yeah. and your sauces for like okay, you know, the day got away from me and now we need something right. really simple, uh, for, for dinner or lunch or, um, 
that kind of stuff can also be once you have older kids, that stuff is really simple for older kids to put together like yes. at lunchtime too. And I know my mm-hmm. girls are always like, can I make lunch? Can I do that? You know, they want to get into the kitchen and like express themselves or <laughs> Oh whatever. yes. So yep. They've been the last couple of years, that's been kind of, that's changed a lot, you know, going from having all littles to, mm-hmm. um, a couple that are capable of helping. I know, is it, don't you have your oldest is a girl, right? Yeah. My oldest two are girls. They're 13 and 11. Okay. And they are very helpful in the kitchen. So what ages are your girls? Um, they are 12, nine, seven, five, and one. Yeah. The, um, the littlest just turned one okay. in February and she's just, you know, pure entertainment. I mean, I'm sure, you know, having a baby with all those kids around, (laughs) it's like, they just, you see why the baby of the family maybe is always the baby of the family. They get so uh, adored and so much attention. It's very sweet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So many mommies. Yeah. Especially with all those girls. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, um, and so, yeah, just in the last couple of years, they've, it's changed. I mean, it really shifted. I mean, we wouldn't have been able to Mm -hmm. do farmer's market a few years ago. And I, I don't think I would have been able to do it just for my, for myself. It was this farmer's market was really more about my kids having an activity and a way to, they, my oldest had, has been always wanting her own business. She's talked about it for years. So it was an opportunity for her to, to get out there and, and try that. And then all the kids saw her doing it and wanted to be involved. And so we did it like it's sort of like how uh, some families might do sports is like, that's our day. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, we're, I always, I joke too, that we're kind of like pretend farmers. Like we, my husband still, he works an off farm job. It's, you know, it's very busy because of that. Like he's, you know, doing that. And then on the weekends trying to fix fence or right. whatever it's, you know, so it stays very busy. Is that like that for you guys too? Is it just always go, like a lot going on? Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, today we were, we were out in the garden This and my husband was like, I don't even know if we should have all the kids out here because it's, we're going to have heat strokes. <laughs> he said, there's a heat advisory. Like I've never even thought about that in my <laughs> life, like worrying about heat, but it really is so hot. So yeah, we were out in the garden And then I sent in my oldest to make lunch and the cow was grazing around the yard and then eating the roses. And the kid, one of my kids was turning butter in that little hand crank butter turning thing. (laughs) So yes, there's always so much going on. And then right before this podcast, I told my two older girls, I, that clean this kitchen top to bottom, please. Like we're talking empty out the grease, the bacon grease, you know, outside. Cause you know, a lot of times kids they'll clean, but then they'll leave like the pot that has the bacon grease in it. And just those little things that only the mom does. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do it every <laughs> last bit of it. Yeah. Cause yeah, so much going on. Um, and then after this, we're going to go get some gravel for the garden because all the pathways in between the raised beds are overtaken. I had a friend yesterday say, Hey, I want to come see your garden. And I was like, I would like yeah. to see my garden too. <laughs> it is absolutely buried in yeah, Johnson exactly. grass right now. It's like, I didn't get mulch on it early Same. enough in the spring. And I'm just, I'm in there trying to just save some of the things that have sprouted by like clearing out <laughs> weeds around them. So I definitely need to spend some serious time in the garden. And that's something else too. I think you know, a lot of young moms, they say like, 
how do you get it all done? And I, I don't know what it was like for you, but I want to say my least productive season was probably when early in my motherhood days when I had maybe two or three little ones, you know, and everybody's very little. Yeah. That oh. was not a time when I was yeah, like hands down. doing, doing all the things it was, that was very much like I am in survival mode. Yep. So yeah, yeah, for young moms, uh, and they all, they have those dreams too. They think I want to learn how to do all the things and, and, um, you can still learn as you go and it's okay. I did everything badly a bunch of times before I did it. Well, you know, I've had lots of fails Mm -hmm. in my garden. I made, I mean, I've made bad bread, but I joke that there's never really any bad bread because you can like make French onion soup or croutons or bread pudding. Like definitely (laughs) rescue it. So yeah. Yes. Croutons. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you because even though now I still have I still have a four-year-old, two-year-old and a baby. So I still have that crew that's very difficult. But like right now, you know, I had somebody that was cleaning up the kitchen while I was jumping on this podcast. That mess wasn't waiting for me when I got done with this. That mess was already taken care of. And then I have my other daughter holding the baby and then the boys are helping Luke do something. And so mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of chaos, I feel like, but it's not the same kind of hard as it is whenever it's, it's a different kind of hard because there's so much going on. So it's very loud. And there, there's times when it's just like, this is a lot, but it also doesn't have the same exhaustion level as when you have no help at all. That's very true. I mean, just the little things that they can do or make space for you to even um, just be able to do your own um, self-care, you know, be able to like go get in the shower and you know that uh, an older child can um, listen for the baby if the baby's down for the nap or, you know, it's, it's just a different family dynamic. My advice for young moms is like, find some good friends, learn how to do things together, have your friends over with their babies, bake in your kitchen or your, you know what I mean? Learn how to do things together, have like, find your tribe and just kind of hang on. And like, you'll, you'll feel like you'll have more time later, but just really soak in those years and and give yourself a lot of grace because it goes by very quick, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's an accumulation of knowledge too. Like you and I both have been, have been married and been moms for over a decade. And so there's just, so much that has accumulated over time with trial and error with, you know, things that would sound really easy to you didn't sound easy to you 10 years ago. And and that's the same for me. And for anybody who's like, Oh no, I, I get, I get criticism for my daughter holding the baby in fairness. Oh no, I was going to put him down for a nap. He wouldn't take a nap. And <laughs> normally like back whenever I had four, two and a baby, I would have had to cancel this podcast, but the 11 year old is ready and willing. Well, you know, <laughs> which I think is ridiculous anyways, kids should help. <laughs> I, I do. And I think, I mean, I'm very conscious of it with my kids, you know, because I, I want them to enjoy that time and those, it's sort of like how I approach the garden too. Like I don't, I don't drag them out there to do it. I want them to love it, you know? And so, um, speaking of the devil. <laughs> um, oh, hi. It was funny. That was really so funny cute. because she walks in during it. <laughs> With the baby. She said he's falling asleep in her arms. So he's going to go down for a nap after this. Hi. Oh my goodness. Oh, so cute. I think that, um, 
I mean, when I see my kids together and I see them spending time together, I think they're so lucky that they get to be with their siblings. Um, I mean, like my, my daughter, my oldest daughter has so much energy and like she could be like at school behind a desk and have a totally different sort of lifestyle, but she gets to be doing whatever she wants to do. And she gets, she gets to be with her siblings and gets to spend a lot of time with the baby when she's young. And she's even talked to me about that before she said, mom, you know, my littlest is, is Dahlia. And she said, you know, Dolly's growing up so fast. And, um, if I, if I had to go to school, I would never see her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, because she just loves her so much, you know? And so, um, I don't know. I think it's sweet. And I think people who don't have large families, uh, sometimes can't relate to it or they don't understand how, how much free time that kids can have when they get to be at home and, you know, homeschool is only takes a couple hours of their day. So they have literally, my kids I know probably have four to six hours a day of time besides school, chores, whatever, where they're allowed to just do whatever they want and pursue like whatever they're interested in. That's a gift. Exactly. Yeah. That's where I don't feel bad. I say like making them help, but contribute as part of the team to our family. Yeah. That doesn't make me feel bad at all because they get so much space and we are, we're a team and we, we work together. One of the other things I was going to talk to you about, which I realize we're just going off topic, which is totally okay, is foraging. So you've done a lot of foraging I've noticed on your Instagram and how did that knowledge come about? So I feel like that kind of came naturally out of our approach to, um, homeschool, which, you know, we're using the Charlotte Mason method and pretty much with Charlotte Mason, there's just a huge element of nature study involving that. And so we spent a lot of time outside just learning the plants. And that's what I always say when people are interested in foraging, my advice is to just start learning all the plants versus I want to go look for plants I can eat. Just learn all the plants. Like what is this plant? What is that plant? Because sometimes people don't necessarily consider something an edible plant, but once you learn more about it, you'll learn that certain parts of it are edible. Or if you like prepare it a certain way, it's edible. Just do that. Just I think for the first year or two, we didn't really eat anything. We were just identifying. And I was a little nervous to eat things when I thought, okay, this says it's edible, but we've never done it. And so it took me a little bit to get braver. Um, and we just started with plants we would see on our nature walks. Um, and then we got more and more into mushrooms. And then we started cultivating mushrooms, which is kind of a whole different thing. But But doing mushroom logs is so fun. And they do really well in our part of the country. Yeah, I'm sure it's similar to here. Yeah, so foraging. And then we would just learn how to use things. And it was really something I was learning right alongside my kids. I didn't have really any experience before. But like when I consult with people for gardening and that kind of stuff, I always encourage people to learn about their, their local plants and maybe traditional foods that were eaten in that place. Because a lot of times, if it's a traditional food, that means it's going to grow really well there. So when you go to the grocery store, we have a few crops that are there all the time. And it's because they store really well and ship well and all that. Um, Like it's not because they taste the best or they grow well everywhere or whatever. It's just that all our food production is very centralized. So we've lost tons of awesome foods that just people don't even know about anymore because we grow a few staple crops, you know, 
I always just encourage people to, to learn about what grows in their area. Like in Arkansas, you can forage for pawpaws, but a, a lot of people don't try growing them. But I say, you know, you should try growing them because they'll grow really well here, um, easier than peaches. Anyway, yeah. So I encourage people to learn about what does well in a place, forage it, learn about it, and then try to find ways to incorporate those foods back into your farm. Like if it grows like right. a weed, like elderberry here just grows like a weed. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, let's figure out how to use it. Let's plant some. To, right. Like then you take it beyond foraging and you think, well, this does really well here. How can we cultivate this on our homestead so that we have more of it without like, cause it basically will just spread and we have to not do any work. So yeah. I love that aspect of it. That, that is a really good tip. I hadn't quite thought about that because yeah, pawpaws and uh, elderberry are huge here too. And you don't think of it as something to cultivate just because you only ever think of it as something you go out and find, Right. but it makes sense when it does so well natively too. Yeah. They just, they don't store well elderberry and paw, pawpaw. They just, you can't really ship them super well. Like elderberry, you can dry, but you can, if you're growing it on your own farm, then you can process it or do whatever and you're kind of in charge of that. But you know, pawpaws have a super short shelf life, but they used to be very popular fruit in America, but because they don't store well at all, they basically cut down all the pawpaw trees and like planted apple trees instead. It's interesting too, that if you ask most people who live in Missouri and Arkansas, if they've even had a pawpaw, I bet you most people haven't even uh, tried it at all. I've only tried it like one time, so. No, you're right. I, I get that all the time when I ask people about it. They say, gosh, I, I grew up in here and I've never had one before. I mean, but I know my family eats like 10 pounds of bananas a week probably from, you know, and they're like imported from central, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like we buy them because it's inexpensive. Uh -huh. And pawpaws have a similar texture. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what someone told me is that, you know, how um, banana pudding is sort of like a traditional Southern dessert you'll hear you'll you'll have it at potlucks yes. it'll just be around well someone told me that originally a long time ago that it was actually made with pawpaws that would make sense and um because they didn't used to import yeah. bananas up to this part of the country or whatever um and so but later on then when pawpaws weren't a thing they just replaced them with bananas because like they could they were getting them or whatever but that it used to be traditionally it was like made with pawpaws and cream and that kind of thing. And we've made it like that before and it's different, but like you can see how they got there from it. And it's pretty good. You know, it's, it's not, it doesn't taste like banana pudding. It tastes like pawpaw pudding, but it's really good. <laughs> so yeah, that, that does make sense because my husband's grandma said she never, I don't think she ever ate a banana when she was a kid at all. So why? Yeah. How would that, I don't know why I never, that, disconnect, that would make more sense. <laughs> so what are some of the go-to meals? Okay. So for breakfast, um, I usually have like some hard or soft boiled eggs like prepped. Like Ooh. I just cook a couple dozen eggs a week and put them in the fridge so that they're yeah. just there, you know, cause it's really easy to do, you know, I'll do like five or six minute eggs. So they're a little mushy inside and you can put them on a salad or like on a mm. sweet potato. And it's like, I don't know, it tastes good. And so I keep those on hand and for breakfast, we usually do something simple like hard boiled eggs. Um, and we have toast. If we have leftover bread from the market, we'll have sourdough toast, yogurt, it, fruit 
very simple things that it takes me just minutes to put together and, or that the older kids can even um, do themselves um, things like banana and peanut butter, apples and peanut butter. And that's like, cause some of my kids want to eat right when they wake up. And so that that's what we do. If we have to go to like church or something the next morning, or we have co-op, I'll prepare like an egg bake the night before or oat, baked oatmeal, just put it in the fridge and then you put it in the oven right when you wake up and it's ready to go. So that's how we do that. Lunches, sweet potatoes are like a go-to easy lunch, like sweet potatoes and then just slice up some veggies and fruit to go with it. Or um, if you have canned fruit or veg in the pantry or frozen stuff, pull it out. That's easy. And like the older kids too now, sometimes they'll want to do something like, they'll want to make like pancakes for lunch and, you know, I'll be like, mm -hmm. go for it. Yeah, like we did today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and a Dutch baby pancake is one of their favorite things. And we make that a lot. Yes. And sometimes that's a lunch thing too, because that'll take a little bit longer. So I don't try to do big elaborate breakfast in the morning. If it's something really light, maybe we throw in some bacon or something mid-morning and everybody can have a piece of bacon if they're, you know, like, because we're doing a bunch. We get up in the morning and we do all of our morning time stuff. They're doing their chores. I feel like we go hard in the mornings and then we're like, because I feel like that's when everybody's at their best and then yeah. things are much more relaxed for the rest of the day, you know? So I don't like to spend a lot of time cooking. And then um, something that has we've done that makes dinners easy is we'll do a lot of meat, like on Sunday, either I'll do a big roast in the crock pot or I'll cook a couple of chickens or my husband loves to smoke meat or grill and he'll do a bunch of meat and then I will make it all week long. Like he'll do a brisket and then we will have, you know, sliced brisket. We'll have barbecued brisket. We'll have brisket on nachos. You know, I'll make it like a bunch of different ways. And we do the same thing mm -hmm. with like a pork roast, you know, we'll, we'll make a pork roast. Then we'll have um, pulled pork with rice and teriyaki sauce, or we'll have burritos. We'll make enchiladas out of it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's usually what I do is I, I plan one or two big meats and then like right. really portion that out. And I always try to have snacks prepped too, like almond butter balls, um, or things on hand that are easy, like cheese sticks, cucumbers. We eat a lot of sliced cucumbers because they're just easy and like really full of water and mm -hmm. stuff. So I think... That's it. I like your idea of just having cooked meats. Like my my strategy is always having thawed meats, but I like that taking it one step further and you always have a just stocked with cooked meats mm -hmm. because you could do so much by cooking a large portion of meat at one time and then like you said putting them in. Just that's like the the most time consuming part of a meal normally. Mhm. Mm yeah, so if you have that and you're like, "Okay, we're just going to do rice and and meat and veggies, or we're going to go to the garden, pick some salad. We've got some meat prepped. We're going to make a chopped salad. It makes it just really easy. Yeah. So I, I do meal plan. Um, I do meal plan too. And that helps me like not end up throwing food away and use everything yeah. and just think about it. But meal planning happens more in my head now than it, I used yeah. to write it all down. And now it happens more up here. And, and I, my goal is to actually get it out on the wall or something now, like, like print it out and hang it up so that like everybody, yeah. cause all the kids, you know, I think then they can take agency of it. If they're like, I want to yeah. help and they can kind of go see what's for dinner and they can, um, they can help. Yeah. So anyway, that's my strategy, but what is your go-to? Like, what is your, you have to make a meal really quick or what do you guys do? In the so I do 
a lot of the same things as you, but like something if it was going to be where there was no time, like yesterday, last minute, one of my podcasts rescheduled for like right before lunch. And so I quickly whipped up the salmon patties. Those are those canned salmon. You mix it up with a little bit of flour, salt, egg, and then fry it in coconut oil. Those are like, okay, I have nothing thought out and I need it's something stat. That and then like breakfast for lunch is definitely a big one because we have so many eggs. That's a great protein. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, you know, pancakes. We had thought out bacon today, so we did that. Those are probably my really in a pinch meals. And then if I have thawed meat, which I try to, like right now in the fridge, there's some thawed ground beef. Something like, well, last night I did a shepherd's pie, so then I can take whatever vegetables I had. I didn't have celery. I didn't have a few of the other things that are supposed to go in shepherd's pie, but just diced carrots, onions, ground beef, and then some of the sauce, like balsamic vinegar, Worcestershire, and and some coconut aminos and salt, and mix that up with some mashed potatoes because we almost always have potatoes. Pasta, I keep those boxes of einkorn pasta on hand. That's a, a, a lifesaver a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So we'll make just spaghetti with that pasta sauce that's already made. Pizza is a big one for me because I'll have a bunch of sourdough starter and then just make those sourdough where you just put the sourdough starter on the preheated cast iron skillet and then it just bakes on there with a little bit of oil and salt because I always have cheese. So those are some of my like really fast go-to meals. Well, I'm going to try some of those now. Those are some of that stuff I've never tried before. I'm totally going to give the salmon patties a shot. And I don't think I've done the, the sourdough just directly in the in the cast iron, like raw, like a pizza yeah. crust. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be bubbly. It can be straight out of the fridge if it's, you know, uh, hasn't been fed in a week or it can be fresh. Wow. But either way, you just get your skillet really, really hot and then add the sourdough starter and then put it up the sides of it. And if it's really well seasoned, it'll just pop out after it bakes a little bit. But um, always before baking, I add a little bit of olive oil, some herbs de Provence, salt, pepper. It's very good. And then you can top it with whatever you have. So we'll do goat cheese or we'll do mozzarella cheese, whatever herbs. Um, Yeah, that's a, and then nachos. So like you said earlier, nachos, we'll keep some of those organic tortilla chips on hand and that's Mm -hmm. a quick meal or tacos. So I had the hardest time for the longest time finding non-GMO tortillas because, you know, you can make them and I do, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) again, we're talking like in a pinch, quick, quick, quick. Um, I've been ordering them from La Tortilla Factory online and I'll get just tons. I'll get dozens of them at a time, throw them in the freezer and then... um, yeah, they're so good and they're not that expensive. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, because I I feel like tortillas, once you make them at home, that they're just different. They taste different than the store ones. So Well, and I really like corn tortillas and I, I'm good at making flour tortillas. Oh, buddy, here you go. Um, but the corn tortillas I've never tried, but I really like the street tacos. And so having those from La Tortilla Factory has been like a game changer for us. That's awesome. Well, it was so fun to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Like, I, I feel like we have a lot in common. <laughs> I know. I'm like, we could go on and on. I had a like a super long list of other stuff, but I think I think it was great. So again, tell everybody where they can find you, best place to find you, to follow along for more. Um, well, let's see. Over on Instagram, um, at Happy Holistic Homestead. I'm on Facebook too. I'm not as active over there. And then I'm on um, Twitter. 
I post over there and um, have a website. And and uh, my book will be coming out in September, too. And that's um, gonna. It's called Holistic Homesteading: A Guide to a Sustainable and Regenerative Lifestyle. And that's basically just talks about. There's chapters on gardening, fermentation, food preservation, foraging, and uh, cooking with sourdough. The idea of the book is just sort of like to to bring some of the production back home. Just over the last couple generations, just like all of the production kind of left the home. And it was just like, we're just at home and consuming. And so it was just the idea of like, well, let's bring some of that production back into the home yeah. um, and and see what that looks like and just learn these uh, simple skills. So it's just kind of like an intro to each and then the gardening chapters more extensive. But yeah, so that'll be out in September. And um, I think you can even pre-order it on Amazon now. Okay. Oh, you can pre-order it. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, we'll leave links for that in the show notes as well as to your website. Yeah. If you just search uh, my Roxanne Ahern on Amazon, it should come up too the book. So awesome. Anyway, but thank you so much for having me, Lisa. This has been such a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Theo is now down for a nap. I've had the opportunity to come back up here and record this outro. That is just the reality of recording a podcast with so many kids in the home, but we somehow make it all work. And I hope that you enjoy listening. I'll see you in the next episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast.